editor's note, I wanted to give everyone a quick heads up that unfortunately some bad news has happened since the recording and uploading of this podcast. The person I interview in this podcast, Bruce Bridgman, has passed away. He died on July 10th, 2016. Some of the things he talks about in this podcast may no longer be active. Uh, the website Consciousness and Cognition is still active. The survey I think he talked about in this podcast I don't think is ongoing anymore. I will link Consciousness and Cognition in the information box and a link to uh, Emorium for Bruce Bridgen that was done by the university that he worked for. So before this podcast starts, I just wanted to give him a moment of silence. Now on to the show. Let's go watch it in 2D. No, let's go watch it in 3D. But if we watch it in 3D, then is it worth the cost? This is Adolf Vega from 3D or 2D.com. And today I have a very uh, special guest. Um, I have Mr. Bruce Bridgman. And uh, he has a very interesting story that I think everyone will really enjoy me lis- uh, listening to. Um, Mr. Bruce, um, can you tell me what your, the story with the Hugo and watching this 3D movie experience? Well, I had been uh, stereo blind or nearly stereo blind all my life. And there are lots of other stereo cues, but I wasn't able to see stereo using the two I use. I went to see the movie Hugo with my wife, and we picked up the 3D glasses, which I thought it was sort of a waste for me, but I didn't want to see the double images in the film, so I picked them up and went into the movie, and I was astonished and pleased to see things jumping out at me. So the movie continued, and I continued to see a 3D experience, but I knew that the disparities, the differences between the left eye view and the right eye view were much bigger in the movie than they would be in real life, so I thought, well, maybe this is just pushing it. <laughs> then. We went out of the theater, and I gave my glasses back and went out on the street, and I saw a lamppost jump out at me in a car and a tree. And this was surprising and quite pleasurable. And it seemed to me that I had somehow obtained a 3D capability that I had not had before. So it continued that way for several weeks, and I went to my optometrist, and he measured my 3D acuity, and it turned out to be much better than it had been before. It was lucky that this is part of my professional research area as a professor. So I had done an experiment with some colleagues at Berkeley, and we had measured my my stereo acuity, and it was about 10 times worse than normal people. And when we measured it after the Hugo experience with my optometrist here in Santa Cruz, it turned out to be only about twice as bad as normal people, but enough to see plenty of stereo. So it was quite pleasurable. I still am able to see three dimensions. And um, now we're wondering whether it's possible that other people could have such experiences. So CNN picked up the story, and the BBC picked it up. And eventually people started emailing me from all over the world saying that they had similar experiences or that they wanted to. So... I generated a survey to find out what sorts of stereo difficulties people had had, what sorts of ocular difficulties they'd had with with stereoscopic vision. And 
we're now in the process of putting a survey together. Uh, this went uh, up to several other people. Actually, I had contacted Oliver Sachs, and his secretary put me in contact with Stereo Sue, who was another person who had obtained stereo as an adult through about a year of training with an optometrist. Mm. But I thought my two-hour my two hour experience might be a much more powerful and, of course, more economical way of recovering stereo if that was possible with other people. So uh, she put me in contact with some of the people who had done the movie, the movie Hugo, and found out about their stereo techniques. And that's how the BBC and CNN and some Canadian broadcasters got a hold of my story. And so now we're in the process of surveying people all around the world. Um, so if anybody out there wants to participate in that, if anyone's had a similar experience, they can contact me, Bruce B at ucsc.edu, and we can get them into the survey. I'll uh, go ahead and include that and when I put this story on the website, and uh, that way people can have a direct link. And uh, any website you want to give, I'll give a link out there, so that way it's easy for people okay. to do this. Was it the experience painful for you at all, or no? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use that expression at all. Actually, it was quite pleasurable. Um, okay, awesome. It was, it was interesting to see how different the world looked in stereo than it did without. Um, I've had some unex some expected things, like I can see objects in foreground and background better than before, and then some unexpected little pleasures of life. For instance, I can now hang my utensils up on the hooks behind my stove without missing, uh, because I can see what's going on. That's awesome. Okay, um, so your wife was originally the person that wanted to see in 3D. Has she seen 3D movies before this and just wanted to see this one specifically? Or? Um, yes, um, well, she has normal 3D vision, so for her it wasn't really an issue. Okay. Um, does Hugo have a special place in your heart now that you have seen you know, how it changed your life? Well, in a way it does, I guess, yeah. Um, do you actually own it on DVD or Blu-ray or anything, or have seen it? Uh, no, we were, I just saw it at the theater, and then um, a few weeks later, I went to the theater again to watch it again to actually see the movie, rather than mostly concentrating on the 3D. And it mm -hmm. was a good movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed Hugo when I watched it. I think it came out Christmas in 2009 or 2010 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you gave a little bit of examples of how 3D has changed your life with depth perception. You know, is driving a lot easier now? And what other aspects, you know, could you not do what you can do now? Well, I can pick out things in backgrounds, for instance. Three-dimensional vision defeats camouflage. So I can, for instance, see a tree as a three-dimensional object rather than just a maze of leaves. Um, I can find things more easily sometimes because they stand out. Okay. Um, so you said the movie studio had contacted you about that? Um, I had been in contact with a couple of the people who had done the, the stereo for the movie and found out that they had indeed amped up the stereo disparities, the differences between left eye view and right eye view. And they said that they were way bigger than natural, but everything looked great, so they left it that way. Okay. Um, I actually remember seeing Hugo in 3D and actually really liked the 3D in that movie. Um, mm -hmm. So it's actually really good that you got to see a good movie in 3D and is actually well done 3D. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, 
um, on my website, I review 3D movies and 3D games on 3DS. And, you know, there's some 3D movies that are really bad 3D, and some of them are, are really great. So I think Hugo was just part of the ideal way to start it off. Um, mm -hmm. Have you continued to watch 3D films after this? Um, actually, I haven't. Um, there haven't been that many good 3D movies. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm not into the violent ones where they're smacking people and that sort of thing. Okay, so, I understand. I also remember that there were 3D movies when I was growing up which used red-green glasses rather than the Polaroid glasses that are currently used. And um, those were mostly movies where the main feature of the movie was something would jump out at you and try to scare you, and that didn't appeal to me too much either. Of course, I didn't see the 3D there anyway. Yeah. Um, was that before the red and blue, or is that the same one you're talking about? Uh, that's what I'm talking about, the red and blue. Okay. Um, do you think, you said that you mentioned a survey before. Do you think this could really be repeated with like a large amount of people, or is it just the isolated incident with very few select people? Well, we don't know how many yet because, of course, the CNN, BBC, Canadian stories reach probably millions of people. And I've received a handful of replies. We have really no idea what proportion of people who've been able to to recover or to obtain 3D vision have actually responded and emailed me and how many just said, oh, that's nice, I've done that too, and didn't say anything. So we're hoping to get some idea of at least a minimum frequency by this survey technique. There's also a journal that's going to be publishing a, a little one-page announcement of this survey to optometrists so that if any of their patients um, obtain the 3D experience, they can contact me and we can put them into our, our survey. So what we'd like to know is what sorts of anomalies are amenable to this sort of experience. That is, in my own case, I had eyes that were pointing outward, um, wall-eyed rather than cross-eyed, um, and I had been alternating looking through one eye or to the, through the other voluntarily for different things. But other people have had amblyopia, I mean suppression of vision in one eye. Um, some people are cross-eyed. Uh, some people have always had this. Some people it gets better or worse. Some people have had surgery to try to correct these um, misaligned eyes. So we're doing a survey to find out what sorts of subgroups of people have experienced this and which ones have not. So far, it seems that a fair number of different anomalies um, belong to people who have experienced the 3D recovery. I'm calling it recovery, but it really means getting 3D in the first place. Okay. Now, you mentioned before this is something you actually study, and um, I think you are the editor-in-chief of Consciousness and Cognition. Is that correct? Right. That's correct. Okay. Tell me more about this. this um, I find this very fascinating. Uh, this is an academic journal published by Elsevier, which is one of the biggest publishers of academic journals. I began as an associate editor and the, the editor became ill and um, appointed me as, as the editor-in-chief and that's been now going for several years. The journal looks at consciousness which historically had been something not quite respectable in cognitive psychology. People thought it was too subjective to really be studied. But we now have some good methods to look at consciousness and find out what's conscious and what's not how consciousness changes one's capabilities, if it does at all, uh, these kinds of questions, whether unconscious experiences can affect your conscious perception and action, um, a lot of 
questions arise about what consciousness is good for. Very interesting. Uh, my friend uh, Tom actually practices a kind of form of this called neurofeedback. Do you know anything about that? Have you heard about that? I don't know much about that, but um, we're more engaged in basic research looking at, at how the brain works. Okay. Because uh, my friend Tom has this like, machine that uses light and different uh, audio tones to help condition your brain. and you could, um, He said that if you play a certain tone and certain light, it will help you become less nervous or help you become more confident or something. And I, I just thought since it's kind of similar, you may know something about it. But Well, my suspicion is that those sorts of things work because people expect them to work. <laughs> and that's not to be sneezed at. It can help a lot of people. But yeah. I don't think there's anything unique about it. Yeah, I found it really fascinating. And um, I also often joke with Tom that, you know, did he bring his brainwashing machine whenever I, you know, visit him and, you know, and he knows I'm playing around with him. And I actually used right. it once, and it is pretty interesting uh, what it does. When, yeah. When you talk about your brain, you're really talking about yourself because you are your brain in an important sense. Yeah, and, I, you know, the future of brain development and brain research is something that is just fascinating because I think we're right. just, you know, barely getting the, you know, tip of the iceberg with how our brain works and everything about it. So, right. It turns. It's turned out in recent years that there's more plasticity even in the adult brain than we had thought previously, and that things can change, areas can grow, sensitivities can change even in adults, which were previously thought to be just things that would happen during some critical period in early childhood. Well, thank you again, Mr. Bruce. Um, do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, I think that should do it. Well, thank you again. I really enjoyed this interview, and uh, thank you for listening. Okay, bye-bye. Before this podcast wraps up, I want to thank my patrons. Thank you, Kano3D and Mr. Bingo5 for your financial support on Patreon.com. So that's going to be it for this podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find 3D or 2D on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, Instagram, and more. Just look for 3D or 2D. Links are in the info box. If you want to send us listener mail, our email address is email3dor2d at gmail.com. Thank you for either listening or watching this podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.